Hello, and welcome to The Small Podcast, the show where we talk to the people forging careers within and solving the problems of private equity and private equity-backed scale-ups, carve-outs, and startups. So it's slightly differently to what we normally do, where we talk to somebody from the world of private equity. Today, we will be talking to Caroline. So just to give you a quick background to Caroline. So Caroline's commercial background was with Nestle, and she also worked with a host of other well-known retail brands in the commercial sector before she moved into recruitment, working with companies like Mace, Brandwatch, the private equity company Montague, and most recently with the Trade Association for Private Equity the BVCA. Hi, Caroline. Hi, John. This is quite strange, isn't it, being on the other side? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Caroline, we're going to go with all the normal sort of things that we do uh, with our other guests. So if you would please start just by giving us a quick overview of uh, who you are and obviously how you got to be doing what you're doing right now. Yeah, sure. So I fell into recruitment, as I think 90% of people in the recruitment industry do. Um, I was made redundant from Nestle, my contract, well, not made redundant, so my contract had ended, and uh, walked into a recruiter, Huntress, and said, I'm looking for a job. And they went, oh, do you want to come and work with us and be a consultant? Uh, quite a baptism, baptism of fire working for an agency. I think it's a very good grounding for a recruiter because you learn know about time management and really to get the best out of your day. Um, but I worked with an amazing manager called Sarah who really picked up that I'm not an agency recruiter. I'm very much more a consultative. So go and work more in a more, uh, just more selective. And I'm not putting down agency recruiters at all. I think they've got a great place. And really built up from there. So I worked for the lot of sort of moved more and more in-house. I worked um, on various projects, did various contracts, um, worked in Scotland where my client was Velux and did did loads of really interesting work, worked with some amazing brands and companies. And uh, before I started up my own business again, that was very organic. I was was approached to do work on, um, it was a a rec to rec uh, was asked to do that and it just evolved from there really and we've moved more and more into the PE world working with projects working on projects sorry with carve outs and scale ups and 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 it's just exploded from there really yeah it's interesting I wonder how many people do go that exact same route of you apply for a job with a recruitment agency and they go do you want to cover book <laughs> And that's exactly the way I entered recruitment, which was I moved from Cardiff to Swindon. I was looking for procurement jobs at the time, which is what I was doing in Wales. And they were like, oh, we don't. But, you know, you've been doing this in your job. Do you want to come and and work for us? I "I need a job. Let's try it. Uh, And yeah, 10 years later. uh, (laughs) Here you are. um, Yeah, it, it is something that probably a lot of people in recruitment will will recognize mm. uh you've done all phases of recruitment then with agency mm. rec to rec and uh in-house mm. uh, in terms of your, your your sort of background before recruitment and you know mm. you did a lot of sort of very commercial focused roles and sort of building yeah you know propositions for for retail companies um and some big names mm. um you know within there like boots and people like that mm. um how do you think that helps sort of you know, your start within recruitment? Good question. Yes. So I worked in brand licensing. So I did account management in Giftware and then I moved into um, 
brand licensing to again very retail focused it was the marketing aspect i really think has helped in this moving away into the recruitment positions i've had marketing really looking at how coming from a commercial aspect absolutely understanding budgets understanding finance really looking at a brand and seeing you, you know you as a as a recruiter as a brand and how to market yourself and how to communicate that you know i had some big meetings with boots like you said and john lewis my client debenham the, the late debenham um mm-hmm. and uh you know sitting there and you're and you're pitching christmas a year later you know you're working to those kind of time scales so there's so many aspects i learned it's amazing i loved brand licensing and even now when i see you know pencils with Beatrix potter or mr men on mr men mr Mister, <laughs> or the brands i worked on i was just like oh just, you know my little heart i go oh that's so lovely and yeah it was just an amazing amazing journey to go on but i think that sort of marketing commercial thinking definitely been a helpful guide to what i do now yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, agency, clearly, you know, it's always, you're always at the pointy end commercially, you know, you'll have your commercial targets, you know, and everything else. And, but even in, in-house, you know, you, you never lose that commercial element, really, you know, you're yeah. still at the pointy end of, you know, commercial, commerciality, but in a, in a potentially different way. Yeah. But, I mean, I see, particularly... yeah, I see my clients as brands. I'm a brand mm. ambassador for them. And that's how I see it. So I look at recruitment from a marketing point of view. How mm. do we take that role? How do we sell it? How do we get it and market it to the world out there that that, that candidate we want to attract? And that's mm. what you sort of come to with that mindset. I mean, particularly with what the small consultancy does now and, you know, who it works with, with that, you know, that scale up, you know, mm. piece and recruitment. And we talk about this a lot, Caroline, in that recruitment mm. is very much should be one of the, the drivers, you know, towards that growth, you know, so you are responsible, you know, for commercial growth, you know, within that organization, yeah. potentially more than people within that organization realize often uh, I think would be fair to yeah, say uh, I think most recruiters would, would kind of agree with that you know yeah there's that constant drive for you know how recruiters can get in earlier you know into the process because you know the plans that they're making and the strategies that they're making rely quite a lot of the time wholly on the success of recruitment actually happening yeah. and happening according to their time scales. Absolutely. You're selling the, if it's a product, let's say, for example, you're out in the marketplace. Why are you that employee of choice, employer of choice, sorry? Why why are you that? How do we sell that to, to the LinkedIn world that you're the one to work for? And also it helps sell your product. Like I sort of said earlier, um, you know, Green Gin was a classic example of a great product. Great. What they're doing is fantastic. Um, you know, the app which you can get cash back on when you go and shop um for various things and people would obviously i talk to candidates they go on and get the product they download the app hmm. so and people always say their website clicks have suddenly increase when you start doing that you know improvement the right, right way they're starting to get oh what are you about oh this is interesting you know things like that so it's it's a very much as you said a commercial element to it and and not a lot of people understand that no, but I mean, you mentioned obviously marketing as well, and obviously you know 
I am now in marketing rather than the recruitment. But I yeah. think you're completely right. And I mean, one of the things that marketers struggle with, particularly if you're working with, you know, companies that are either smaller scale or going through that growth piece, is a lot of the time they don't understand their proposition. And, you know, you're having to work with them to kind of build what that proposition is and, and work out, well, actually, you know, what are you? What is your, you know, your main selling points? Mm. Who are your main audiences? Mm. And that's no different than recruitment, because if you don't have that in place, as you said, you know, people are going away and downloading these things to see what they're yeah. about. And you need that tight proposition to be able to sell to the candidates. And, you know, having that kind of marketing skill as a recruiter, I think now is far more important than it was like. 15 years ago when we entered the recruitment 100%. industry, I think. so. Yeah, 100%. And there's so much more to it, that candidate attraction that you need to factor into and having that experience of doing that. Because obviously, as you said, at Small Consultancy, we go into companies that are starting up or suddenly got a round of investment, whichever stage that is, first mm. or last or whatever. And you know, they have suddenly some money and it's how to spend it. And normally it's about talent and, and candidates and, you know, getting people, expanding teams and hiring some really big roles, really important roles. So, so yeah, very important. I think we've obviously, and we obviously haven't decided when this episode is coming out yet, but I, I'm assuming some <laughs> of the other ones we've already recorded will, will appear before this one. I mean, we've spoken to people across different areas of the business, you know, and I think mm. one thing that's become clear, you know, is, is don't assume things. And, and you know, a lot mm. of the time you, you think that a lot of these things would be in place. And I mean, for example, we spoke to Dave Martin, didn't mean the work that he does with founders, um, because, you know, you kind of expect people have a vision, you know, this is what happens here yeah. in the plans. But that's not the case. You know, these people no. are often people have had an idea and have built that idea, but need nurturing and need people alongside them to fulfill it. And I think that's really for me, and this is what, you know, when I was in recruitment as a, as a manager, you know, was trying to drive recruitment internally, I think. And I think that's what the small consultancy stands for is raising that profile internally and getting in, to more strategic decision-making so you can have more of an impact on the outcomes. Absolutely. And that, and then as you mentioned, I think the key word is at the earlier stage, and this is definitely mm. what we've talked to, as you said, a variety of people across all functions and everyone's sort of screaming, get it us in earlier. Um, because even when you're starting to get the final stages of investment, it gives us time to get prepared get things in place so when that money hits the bank account as it were in a very crude terms we're ready we're there we're keys we, we, we've got got some pipeline work done we've got yeah. our job adverts job description template done we've prepped all the hiring managers we've got interview you know all of those things are there mm. and decided and i know that's the perfect world kind of scenario but it just really helps otherwise you're just paddling upstream unnecessarily yeah i think you agree and i think you've probably developed quite a lean process over the last few years mm. for the, the small consulting because you've been in those environments and you've had to adapt you know of being brought in 
and going, right, you need to recruit X amount of teams or, you know, X amount of people. So, you know, you have to hit the ground running and do it. But as you said, there's, there's always in the mind that as is and to be process, if you will, you know, whether this is what we do because this is where we're brought into the stage of the process. But as you said, there's a lot of groundwork that can go in to embed processes and embed technologies that would make everything a lot smoother, you know, if you are involved at that that kind of earlier stage, I think. Yeah, and you've got sign-off from an ATS at an early stage. I definitely recommend that. Um, mm. you, you mentioned technologies. I think that's really key. Uh, ATSs, whenever I've implemented them, they have transformed the recruitment process and hiring managers just love it. And they can view all the candidates. You know, obviously we're rejecting, they're rejecting, you're working very closely together, but they just have a bit of better sight of, of and mm. control over 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 the sort of hiring process, the interview process. So I definitely recommend at least get sign off. You know, you can you can do the shopping around and choose the partner later on, but at least get that in the budget at quite an early stage. Um, because I think that's such a key piece to be implemented. That's that's an interesting part. It's one we, we were going to go into later, but um, oh, sorry, touched upon it now. No, uh, budgets, and I think mm-hmm. if you're if you're an internal recruiter, I mean, you'll always recognise the fact that you know you'll go in and go, "What's my budget?" And I kind of go, what? "Yeah, have a budget." You know, the hiring managers yeah. have their budget for you know hiring people. You know, what do you need the budget for? You know, which is that yeah. education piece of well, actually, you know, we we need X, Y, Z. Um, and you touched upon it there that, you know, an ATS system is, is a nice to have, um, you know, you, you can, it is easy, you know, if you are recruiting a lot of people to quickly drive them in spreadsheets, uh, and drop the ball, you know, if, if, if it's not there, um, what other things would you suggest that people looking at those initial plans of how they're going to grow should factor in, in terms of budget for recruitment? Uh, agency spend it's amazing how they go i need to hit 100 people let's say in six months and they don't factor in those additional costs of agency fees linkedin recruiter and obviously linkedin adverts any other job boards advertising costs and it's factoring those linkedin is not cheap now it's about i don't know 16 grand 12 16 grand it seems to go off every time I pitch it to a client, but um, <laughs> they uh, that those sorts of costs because they pay for themselves. LinkedIn recruiter pays for itself. Everyone should have. If you've got a LinkedIn, if you've got a recruitment team, get LinkedIn recruiter at least one. Um, uh, so it does pay for itself in that sense. But factor those costs in. Do you want to use Indeed? Do you actually want to use a specialist job board? um you know construction or whatever it may may be um uh you know public affairs there's there's some really good specialist job boards which i've recently um used for for a role at bbca brilliant you know think of those what are those costs um is it worth doing any shows are you going to look at apprenticeships um you know really junior positions can you afford to do that so is it worth going to college you know graduation shows things like that so it's not just your product and what that sells is do you have costs factored in for all those bits and pieces and i think that's key and i do think people forget about that because you do go 
oh well that's a six grand agency fee oh I, do you have that in your budget no what was that for you know you do what I mean and and it's really important that you have that and I think people are surprised um if you don't have a good strong enough team that you know you have to rely on agency and mm. there is a cost there yeah and I mean again this would be familiar to a lot of recruiters a lot of the time when you're going into growing organizations you won't have a massive recruitment team around you you know often it'd be you or one other person maybe a maybe a junior you know admin mm -hmm. or, or resourcing mm -hmm. in it with you so you're not going to fill 100 roles directly yourself you know within six no. months it's just not feasible i'm good and, but it's tough yeah <laughs> yeah i mean nobody is i mean unless they're high volume within you know one one sector mm. you know but when you're bouncing between different different teams in an organization that all want fairly senior people in the first instance that are, you know, coming through. Yeah. You need to focus on your strengths and where you can make those those sort of wins. Mm -hmm. And there are specialist ones where third parties will always be a good way, you know, to absolutely. To sort of do but as you said, it's just being transparent from the start about needing to factor in those fees and yeah. what those fees should be. Um which helps even when you do come to negotiating with, you know, with agencies because rather than them just going oh our terms are 25 percent or um mm -hmm. often you know that 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 will turn out not to be 25 percent quite quickly but you yeah. know the, the good ones you know they will want you know the, the money long term they, they're so, thinking of long-term partnerships absolutely yeah, yeah so, definitely and it's yeah. always the time factor so i always look at when it's an agency is if i've got 15 roles and one is so specialist, it's going to take me more and more time than I can fill the 15, full team. I'd get an agency to work on that one really specialist. It's going to be time consuming for me and I can fill those 15. Yeah. And that's how you present it. If it's going to take me too long to fill it, that I'm, it's, you know, detriment to some real good wins. I can, I know I can, you know, fill good, good wills I can fill. Let's get an agency onto that one. Yeah. And I, I think that's just, the realities of having to be a generalist in a world that one specialist essentially yes and this oh, is something i, like I always one. i always thought about is and I, I wrote this blog about nine times probably over the course of my time in recruitment and never posted in the end um because it, it it is something that nobody really talks about unless you've got a massive recruitment team you know where everyone's covering different sectors within yes within yep. your within your team yeah. so as we said that's not the reality and most grown businesses can't afford that you know so you do have to spread yourself across a number of business areas and it's it's identifying where your weaknesses are you know tech for example is i mean tech was my bag so you know if you're having mm. if you're having contact with developers you need to know what you're talking about you need to be able to yes. build that credibility with yes them. or you need to be completely honest and say I've got no idea about this one. I'm going to ask you this series of questions, which this person has given me, which then, you know, I will not evaluate you on, but we will discuss this with that person. So, you know, there are ways you can be a bit transparent around it. But generally, yeah. the best way is if you don't speak their language in that area, don't do 100%, 100%. it. 100%. You know, find the great. specialist yeah. who does it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was finance for me. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't do finance roles. I just didn't understand it in the slightest. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's just reality. I don't think you can get around mm -hmm. that. I don't think there's any, you know, unless you've got a magic, yeah, budget that, that, that you know you can suddenly recruit ten people. It's, no, it's exactly. always going to happen. 
it's utilizing and especially if you're opening in a new territory i would mm. suggest engaging with an agency when at bbox we looked at um tech in uh, pakistan mm. And so I engaged with three agencies, we met them, we evaluated all the contracts, everything else, and we chose a preferred partner because the cost of us trying to recruit out there com mm -hmm. compared to what they could deliver, they were specialists in that area, specialists within that sector and within that territory, made absolute sense to, to get a, a partner to really help us because they were developers as well. Yeah, so, I, I'm... I mean, it's we did, yeah, I mean, regional and time difference is something we didn't even touch on then with specialism, but you're completely right. I mean, mm. even from a, we can't speak to these people because it's 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. They know the benefits. They know how to attract that, that person because they're specialists within that territory. Mm. And I always say, right, let's, let's spend that money, build up the team out there. We'll manage. They just hire where we need to managed fallouts because I mean it went nuts in Pakistan at the time because obviously everyone was wanting to buy developers there so money was just going up and up so everyone was just going well I've got another offer I'm off after like two weeks bonkers mm. absolute bonkers but you need that person out there so yeah, absolutely like you said recognize where you need to bring in expertise and then a lot of people I've worked with don't have the agency spend I've had to do a lot of it myself which is absolutely fine, and I'm more than happy to do that. But there are certain aspects I will say we need to get experts in, and let's focus on that. So, so yeah. Um, you, you you can tell Caroline hasn't read my running order on notes before this meeting. No, because, no, have I done because, it again? Yes, because she's done it again, and we're now talking about global recruitment, which was supposed to come further on in the process. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. I I like writing notes anyway for my own benefit. Uh, I love it. Uh, but while we are on the subject of global, I mean, you have done a lot of global recruitment. We don't, mm. we don't necessarily talk about this probably as much as we should on on various no, social media channels. It's, it's probably a good time to to kind of go into it. And it, I mean, it is something that one scares a lot of people off the need to do global recruitment. But um, it's something that since well, I mean, before the pandemic, you know, as we mentioned, you know, there, there's always going to be. Mm where you need people in other countries. But since the pandemic, I think it's opened up the opportunities mm. for global sort of global teams more than they had before. Yeah, yeah, um, very much. For you, what are the big challenges with that global recruitment piece? I think I've mentioned it before. It's that being respectful and understanding of different cultures, different benefits. You know, uh, uh, when you interview a candidate, don't just do it because it's your better time. You know, you'll want to get the best out of the interview. If it's 10 o'clock at night for them, they're not going to be on their best form, you know, and, and just have a bit of respect. Um, really do some research. As I said, find some good partners so you know what the benefits are for that country um, and you have it. You have it in your in your offer. You, you just look at, as I said, I think the cultural aspects of, of whatever country that is um what's what's the skill set where are we at compared to the uk and the expectations when we interview for bbox in kenya for developers they're about five years behind a uk junior developer they'd be considered senior we would probably consider mid to junior 
and have that understanding so when hiring managers meet they have those expectations already or they have those they understand that that's where we're at mm. if that makes sense um what else did i say about donor recruitment uh how are you advertising are you doing the right attraction don't just put a uk advert up i think all that'll do you know, if you're listing benefits, list the right ones. You know, just lots of things like that. Just Are there you... any sort of differences? You've seen sort of major differences in how different countries advertise for jobs or how that sort of talent attraction piece looks. I don't think I have, but I think it's things like uh, some countries expect lunch. They, they get money for their lunch, you know, um, and be prepared for that. In your in your budget don't just go oh well it's cheaper salaries we can get away with that you know because i've heard it fine just well we can pay less no come on and we get that in the uk don't you if they if they candidate one sec then you've got a budget of y they go well, let's just give them that no, give them all let's get that you know get them started on a really exciting uh but and um, i don't think i've noticed any any sort of real differences? No, but maybe that's because people aren't doing it. We need to do it properly. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, I I did a lot sort of within the US, and again, mm. you know, there are there are subtle differences and things like you know what constitutes a CV, and we we talked about this in another yes. podcast compared to oh, yeah. what's acceptable here. Um, but a lot of the actual process is the same, and all you've got then is differences on where people hang out but i think even that over the last five years probably is as mm. narrowed dramatically as a few mm. larger players have probably taken over and i think yeah. that goes for all recruitment you know where you used to have to go to really specialist job boards to find people yeah that's probably not so much the case anymore because most people no. will be on linkedin or they'll be I was say. I mean, even something like indeed now is as kind of becomes so all-encompassing if someone's actively looking for a job they're probably in one of those bigger places just because it is one of those yeah tech places that you go now yeah we do and and linkedin obviously it's has changed that completely hasn't it it's it's mm. made it more accessible i do remember one us agency approached me when i was at james uh as a sort of sales intro or and it was we can find him and the whole email was about finding a male. And I thought, you've emailed a female. And you've, and I thought I came back going, oh, do you just hire men? I just, it's just such a rubbish approach from a, from a US recruiter. It's like, no, no, delete. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm it, tangent then. No, it's because I've been helping somebody recently find a job in America, which has been a learning curve. So I, you know, I they bet. just knew I was in recruitment. So they were like, oh, can you help me? Um, so I've, yeah, been, I've never had that of, before. Yeah, I've never seen myself. I tell you what, though, sometimes one one thing had four rounds of interviews for like a quite a low level job. I was like, you, you would crazy. get away with that here, probably. I know you would do that's a problem, and it's that's the other hard bit is teaching hiring managers have mm. faith, have confidence. If you like someone, they're not going to last. Meet them, interview them, let's get it done quickly, in and correctly. If you like them, hire them. 
Mm. Don't think, oh, let's wait to see more CVs because that candidate's going to be gone. And when if you're surprised that they're gone within a month, you know, that's my frustration, definitely. So I've done another tangent again, haven't I? No, that, and I mean, that, that's really interesting, the higher amount of it. And we'll need to discuss this in a little bit more detail because... I mean, even going on to the Goldberg recruitment piece, you know, you, you said that you've got to respect people's time and, you know, when they are going to be best, you know, within these countries. And to a certain extent, you can do that for yourself in initial interviews, but then you've got to persuade the business internally to do that as well and, and, and kind of make those kind of initial interviews at that time. So, yeah, you there's nothing you do in recruitment you can get away with out managing expectations kind of internally. Do you find there's any difference between going into scale-ups and a more established business in terms of how much hand-holding or training necessarily you might have to do with hiring managers? Yeah, because a lot of hiring managers aren't, haven't done it before in scale-ups. Um, either they're fellow um, co-founders or, you know, they're part of the initial sort of process or the initial whatever, building the business. And they're not necessarily hired before. So it's doing the whole from beginning, this is what you don't say, this is what you do say, this is sort of uh, how to get the best out of an interview or candidate. What are you trying to look for? What are you trying to find from this interview? And making sure their questions are are good. Um, I tend to sit on the interviews with them so we give them guidance afterwards. And I've seen how much just blossom and you go for that first interview, they're quite, not not scared, but they're, they're just a bit in, unsure. And then by the end of the process, they're confident. They know what they're looking for. They know their trigger questions. You're there to jump in if need be. If a candidate says something, you go, oh, that's that's a slight amber flag. You'll jump in, in there and, and, and sort of help the hiring manager go, did you understand why I asked the question? Yes, I get that now. Right, got it, you know. So, yes, you do have to do that a little bit. You have to make sure the whole interview process is there. Do you have it in place? Do they have guidelines? You know, all those things you need to make sure are actually part of the process and has been written into the hiring process hmm. um, compared to more established businesses, which tend to have an HR department or at least a bit more established HR department where scale might have had just only just hired an HRD or HR manager that's working with them i love that though i have to be honest i love that when you start off and nothing's there or nothing not not there's no formality and you really start putting those bits in places bits and pieces in place i love all that it's very exciting um so i think that's probably the main difference anyway yeah there's a bit more hand holding it's just down to to not having had that experience they're great people great managers necessarily being to a hard hiring process yeah and i think it, it, I, I like that phrase you know you do have to love putting all the bits and pieces in place as you said i think i'm I sure think, i'm think, weird well i mean we've discussed this before in the you know because when i was internal you know that's that's generally what i used to do was go in and set up functions but i, I think i said before i used to get really bored if i had to go and do business as usual so yes. if if all of that was in place, now I just had to hire people. I would, yeah, incredibly bored and would look for my next yes. contract. It is. 
it is so that I building say my piece. friend yeah now see my friend and I Helen and I talk about it who who I've worked with before and we say we just love that and I do describe myself sometimes as Mary Poppins you fly in really get uh resolve whatever issues that that client has that scale up or carve out has whether it's processes or or mass hiring you know because they've suddenly got a lot of money millions that they need to spend they need to hire 150 people in a short you know space of time but we absolutely love it and you create that bau function and off you go to the next one absolutely love it and i'm with you if everything's in place i get a bit <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay you know i love starting with spreadsheets you have a tracker and we we've created a tracker john you and i mm. haven't we which you take to each client because they've, they've not done reporting, they don't do stats, they don't know where their candidates are coming from, and you're building that big picture for them with data. And then, and then you know, they suddenly get the ATS, and that provides that reporting, and then you do all these bits and pieces, and then you hire the, the, the recruiter, you know, their full-time recruiter, permanent recruiter, and then off you go. Mm. It's brilliant. Love it. Yeah. And I mean, data definitely, when you're doing that building piece, is, is your friend. And I mean, a lot of recruiters hate data because mm. it's used to slap you around the face with when you're a junior recruiter, essentially. <laughs> so when you're, when you're in agency, and not yeah. all agencies, and again, we'll caveat this as we always yeah. do, you know, but a lot of agencies yeah. will use will use data to essentially say, right, you have to make 20 calls a day. You yeah. have to send out 20 approach messages a day. And if you're not hitting your, you know, your target numbers, it'll always come back to what well, you're not doing enough X, Y, Z. You know, there's no kind of account taken in most instances for personality types, how you work, where you're most effective. You know, some people are most effective yeah. on LinkedIn. Some people are most effective on the phone. And yeah. that's not taken into account. So a lot of people just yeah. see data as a way to kind of go, you've not hit your target, off yeah. you go. Whereas, yeah. Yeah. As an internal recruiter who's building, data is your very best friend because you can see exactly the things that you're doing that are having an impact. So when you go in, you can go, well, you know, these people are only staying six months in this team. Why is that happening? And often it's nothing sinister. It is a case of, well, there's one piece missing in that process, you know, or the hiring manager might need a little bit of training on his interviews to spot X, Y, Z, you know, that, that we're missing when we're doing this. Mm. And it's a simple correction that has an immediate impact, you know, in terms of hiring. And, you know, you can I'm see sorry. those people rather than leaving 30 days, one month, three months, you know, into into their mm. projects, they're staying. And, you know, that, that kind of goes on. And mm. you're looking at, the time it was taking to hire people before you arrived, you know, they have positions open for 90 days as, you know, they keep changing the requirements for what they're hiring each time they meet a new round of people and go, oh, yeah. actually, we don't want that. I think we might need this because that person said that. That goes away and, you know, you suddenly start seeing your your time to hires drop to, and we don't really talk about time to hires now, do we? It's not the right, the right one, it's more that, that sort of time until someone is in post, but... Um, yeah. You know, that really goes down and you can start seeing the things that you're doing having that immediate impact. As you said, you need that visibility. So you need some way of tracking that data end to end across all your roles. Yeah, and especially if you're getting pushback from if a hiring manager is just taking too long, and I mentioned this earlier, to interview. And it's a, you know, it's a month process rather than what could be two weeks. And because of dire restraints or whatever... You know, it's not necessarily they don't want to. It's just 
just that busy or whatever it may be, you can push back and go, actually, I introduced this candidate on X. They weren't met till Y. And they pulled out at Z. Do you, you know what I mean? We can You can track it and, and post back. Because obviously it's really easy to push back with recruitment going, not had any CVs. Or I've not had any good ones. Okay, why? We have, you know, there's lots of things you can push back, and data really helps that. So if it's a, if the finger is pointed at you as a as a cause, you can go actually it's the stats. It's not right. stats. I, you you touched on it there though as well. Often those stats will open up avenues that you wouldn't think about. You know, so often someone go, oh, we have not enough good CVs. So then you start going, well, why? You know, this is what you told me you wanted. You know, this is what the requirements say on the job spec. And then you start pulling apart the job spec. And then you start pulling apart the advert and making sure that, you know, the key bits are in both. And, you know, that you're not just asking for a laundry tick list of, you know, skills. And that's when the improvements start happening. But without that initial data, and even if there's something as small as, you know, this role's been open for 90 days and you've interviewed Mm -hmm. nine people why even we made a hire, you know, mm-hmm. but it's easy for those things to creep and creep on, you know, if you don't have visibility mm-hmm. of it. One one thing I do as well, which I think is a really useful tool is on, on LinkedIn recruiter, obviously when you post the job, you it, it recommends candidates. So I sit mm-hmm. on the call or in face, whatever it may be, and show them what candidates this, your job advert you've written is attracting. And I've done that a number of times and then we've gone, it's, and I've done it as soon as sort of a couple of days after I post it or day after I go, well, let's sit down and go through it. And they will pick up, we'll pick up going, oh, it's attracting them well. Look, we keep getting these candidates that LinkedIn, because of the words we've used, is picking up these types of candidates. So we tweet the job description live. And then we start, we can see, right, now we're seeing the right candidates. And <clears throat> start doing that quite early on. And so they can really see why LinkedIn works. So then they've got a better understanding and it really helped them when they're writing job adverts. Moving forward, they've gone, ah, okay, I know what I need to look for and what do I need to include? And then you start making sure, because then you're getting the maximum out of your your adverts, out of LinkedIn, you're getting much more tailored applications. I think, and, and I've done that with a few hiring managers and it's really worked. They've got a really good understanding. Of what we're looking for, and I say, <clears throat> I know even when we're doing it, I just start to do a search. Going right, let's add some target clients, you know, customer companies that you want to, you know, who your your competition, right? And then they start going, oh, okay, and it's just a really good way of of them being a bit more involved in, especially mm-hmm. at those stage. So you don't get, well, I, I didn't do this or we didn't do that, you know, we did. So, yeah, yeah, because it's, it's, it's more collaborative as well. Then you know you, you're yeah. working with people; and they are learning. Yeah, you know you're learning about their team and their you know the organization in more detail. And yeah, it 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 helps everything. But I mean, LinkedIn, if you get that wrong, is 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 a massive budget thing. <laughs> I think you touched on that. Massive. You know. So I mean, even Indeed now, Indeed more or less works by PPC in the same way that that um so pay per click in the same way that LinkedIn adverts do. Yeah, and you let them run too long with the wrong advert and you're just throwing money down the drain essentially exactly so. exactly and that's what i do so it's just a really good tool of uh, way of anyway of really engaging the hiring manager and they can understand so it helps them when they write a job ad because they should write the job description sorry not job ad they should write the job description it should come from them and you know i've done it where i've done the template and gone like this is the start this is the ending you need to put in this 
And I've helped them tweak it and things like that. I've never written it before. That's fine. What are you looking for? How many years experience? Right, let's tweak it and you build up, build up. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, we're there to facilitate that. So A, we use our marketing skills that we talked about earlier, you know, to make those job adverts appealing, you know. We're there to challenge, so push back on things that they're putting in, you know, if it is getting, as we said, a bit listy, um, you know, yeah. why do you need all those, you know, and pushback, is that really necessary? And again, they might go, yes, because, you know, particularly with development, you know, there is a lot of areas that, that yeah. actually someone needs to have, but often they, that's not. And I'd say probably 80% of the time you push back on somebody, they go, mm, well, yeah, it's kind of a nice to have, you know, it's always, but does this person need it? You know, because that person over there, you said, has it, you know, do they have to do the same thing? Um, and that's really, you know, where you start in the value is that pushing back. You said mm -hmm. it's still them writing that job spec, you know, they're still yeah. the specialists. They're still the ones who do that yeah. job, you know, and, and will have that specialist knowledge. Um, yeah. To make those decisions, but the more you can push back and, and kind of challenge, I think, the better. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I used to, I used to yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid to do that at all. When we were in the office space, I used to just go and stand next to the hiring manager. <laughs> just go, you haven't read my CVs yet. I'm shocked. I don't think it will come sorry. Sorry, I'm on it now. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. Off I go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think often when you say challenge, people do think that it is, you know, you, you have to be this strict person, but it's not. It It is, it, it's just fostering it open and sort of collaboration, yeah. you know, on something Absolutely. again. So, yeah. Absolutely. You're desperate for people. You're kicking off that you're desperate for people, but you're not reading CVs I've sent to you. Mm. You know, I can't do any more than that. I can't progress any further. No. And you're drowning. I will help. I will literally interview the candidates. You'll get a beautiful shortlist. I'll do all of that to help you. I'll do anything to help the process. But just, you know, you have to do your bit. So it's really important that you, you, you know, they understand that. And in things like block book their diaries, and we've met, we interviewed Susie, who you met, who I work with at, um, uh, uh, ESS. Sorry, I tried to, mm. to think then. Um, uh, and well, she used to go, right, okay, let's, I'll book space my diary now. Like three weeks' time, I'll book an hour, two hours, whatever it may be, into my diary. She's brilliant at that. She really understood because she was the last person tend to that we'd, we'd, you know, that the candidate would meet. And she made her hire and to do the same. So obviously, anyone before that, she would say, well, book, book time in your diary. Let's do it now. Mm. Great. And and BBCA, she does the same. They book, book you know, slots and diaries straight away as soon as we start interviewing for the process. It's, it's good. Yeah, I we we again we've talked about this a few times on the podcast. Recruiters hate admin, so, so that's quite good <laughs> having people. That... I don't mind it. I like. I think I have this argument. I'm for one at one um, agency I work for, a very consultative agency. But I, their admin was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous when I started. And I said, it takes me half an hour to put a job on. I said, we're not the only recruiter that's working on that role. They're doing it in 10 minutes. So their role's out there in the marketplace and getting the first round. Taking me half an hour, three quarters of an hour. That was not me being slow. That was just how long it took. There's so many layers. Ridiculous. Forms you have to fill in. Um, and so I, they changed the process. 
Because I was like, we need to be quicker. I don't mind admin. I'm quite, I'm not bad at it at all. I mean, a couple of managers I work with who, who hated it, but I'm quite good at making sure all the process is there. Mm. But my my thinking, my always my pushback is, if we're drowning in admin, we're not recruiting. No. We're not interviewing. We're not doing those things. So if you really are piling on the paperwork, spreadsheet drowning, for what reason they're not recruiting? It's that simple. So yeah. kind of is a balance you've got to have have there. It is a balance. It's having the right governance, but still being able to, as we said, you know, we, we've developed quite a lean process that you know you, you don't lose that agility and you know you don't lose that ability because you've got to react quickly in recruitment, however planned you yeah. are. Nothing ever goes according to plan, and you will always <laughs> have to do something. And particularly in, you know, in a rapidly changing and growing company, you know, you're going to have to adapt quicker than you would, you know, in a more established. So quickly. So, yeah, it's crazy. Mm. It changes all the time. All mm. the time. You've got to be very agile in your thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But often, as you said, process and existing processes, you'd be challenging as well as a recruiter and a good recruiter you would expect to challenge and if you're bringing in a recruiter and they're not going well why is this taking three days to get signed off for that role then yeah oh that's the other you thing know. yeah yeah that's always a challenge is is always make sure you get signed off for the role mm. you know it's so important and with a more established business they'll have those those sort of processes in place so you get assigned jd from whoever it may be but you won't necessarily get that from a scale-up. And one thing I've learned is 100% make sure you've got in writing that this world is signed off. The budget has been approved by your finance director or whoever it may be, because I've had that where I've offered extra candidate or whatever it may be, you know, and oh, we didn't have that. Uh, I've got it in writing. Oh, okay. You know, it's it's really sort of not protect yourself, but just make sure you're following all those processes. But But... Yeah, make sure you've got that sign off. Yeah, I I think that would be familiar to lots of recruitment <laughs> uh, agency and in house. And I think yeah, by yeah. all means, take three days to get that role signed off. If there's going to be no friction at offer stage at all, because um, it goes back to what you said about you know why are you waiting you know to to um, add a job advert you know why are you waiting to book people for interviews. The slower you are throughout that process, the more risk you've got of people dropping out. And particularly yeah. off the stage, you know, you found this person that is a very good fit for your company and for your team. Yeah. Don't then spend a week trying to get signed off from three different stakeholders to approve the budget, you know, when that should have been done at the first stage. Because you know, they'll be they'll be interviewing other places and yeah. Yeah. You'll end up hundred percent. Yeah, you won't. You know, you're not the the only person they're interviewing for hmm. at all. Don't think that you are, because you know they're interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing them. Yeah. When you meet candidates, it's, it's very important to have that. Don't have that arrogance. No, no, and often even passive candidates. So if you've done a bit of a headhunt and you found somebody and gone, oh, would you like to come and work here? <laughs> you've almost opened up a, a, a slight can of worms in that they go, oh, yeah. somebody wants me. I must be valuable. Oh, they're offering me ten grand more. Oh, what else could I get? Do, 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 you know, and they go online and and have a look and go, oh, well, actually, there's this other job that's, you know, also nearer paid, to home, so. better benefits. Mm. Well, they they talk to their manager, so I'm, I'm interviewing. Yeah. They're offering me 10 so, grand. We don't want to lose you. Here's 10 grand. 
So don't just assume because you've headhunted this person that they are now not more receptive to, to sort of be looking at other things. Because um, often yeah. you've, you've opened that Pandora's box of, yes, you are more valuable than where you are currently. Um, yeah, some kind of To kind of they... explore that. Yeah, they shop so they can prove that they're more valuable to their bosses if they're struggling to get pay rises and things. Go, actually, look, I've got this offer. Thank you very much. Mm. You know, so there's lots of things, but I think people can forget that candidates are interviewing you. Yeah, I do think people forget you've got to present yourself well. Um, you've got to attract that candidate. You know, um, I, I hired someone at BBC and he hugged me when we met, because he was like, I just love it here. Because I say to the interview how great BBC <laughs> is to work for. I think they're brilliant. Really enjoy working with them. And he and I, like, we were laughing about it. I say, and I said that they're really good. He went, I know, and now I can see it, you know. <laughs> they don't believe you. But uh, it's really just, yeah, it's just, just having that in your head when you are interviewing candidates. Is, hmm. You know, it works both ways. Yeah, definitely. I think, boom full circle back to the commerciality that the more yeah. you can realize that from the start and know what your proposition is know what your value yes. your candidate value proposition is and and exactly what you can offer people you know both tangible sort of benefits wise and you know yeah. over and above holidays and pension you know yeah, what that is but also the the intangibles as well and you know what the culture mm -hmm. offers you know what what working for that company does offer people you know it's as a yeah, a more intangible yeah. thing. Yeah, especially a more entry-level role or more junior. What is the career progression? Mm. You know, that's the question I get asked a lot is, mm. you know, where can this take me? Where can this role take me? What can it offer me? Exactly like you said, it's really important you have that clear mm. in the role as well. And if it is a startup, it's, it's, you might not necessarily have that in, in a process, but you can no. explain that you are... This is where the product is going. This is where the company is heading. And if mm. you're at the early stage, there's share options potentially. There's all sorts of things you can offer as a scale up that you could maybe a big business can't offer. Um, and I do think flexible working now is is a key key thing that people are looking for. Hmm. But I, I mean, working in a small company, you, you hear this all the time. You know, when you go for a small company, oh well, it's growing. There's t you know places to move, but where you know. Do a bit of research before you do that. Look at your organization and where people can easily move between, you know, are there mm -hmm. things you can do, you know, to cross train people between, you know, different areas. I mean, I worked for a, a development company that used to do a half a day's training, you know, once a month cross training yeah. between different departments, you know, do you have flexibility? Not everyone will, you know, to offer something like that or, you know, just is there Udemy courses or something like that you could be doing to kind of hundred percent yeah so it, it all yeah. comes out but you've got to know you've got to map out those things and and think about I mean we'd call it marketing the customer journey you know and think about how yes. they go through in, the employee in, journey employee yeah. journey yeah it's 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 the candidate like journey that. in recruitment you know and how they go through you know to to start it but you need to think about that employee journey and how they move up and where they can go and what it takes and. Once you've got that, that's a massive sell for people, as you said, particularly coming into yes. a change in organization because often they are coming to a change in organization because they see it as a place where they can develop a career and they can really go somewhere quicker than if they're in the same big organization 
two percent pay rise every year you know yes. chance when dave dave retires you know you'll, yeah. you'll be able to move up in in 10 years yeah. you know they, they come to a chaotic environment because they see yeah. a, you know that there is those yeah. opportunities but you still need to show how those opportunities exist because everyone's saying those opportunities exist but if you're showing them that's your that's your advantage over your competitors who are also looking at that person because they've just gone, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you can move up. You can Absolutely. You're saying, yes, you can. This is how you do it. You know, this is how yeah. so-and-so has done it. Or, yeah. Yeah, I remember, uh, I think it was Brownwatch that they did a day, a month, I think it was, where you focus on whatever you wanted to focus on, especially with developers. And because it, mm. it's going to help Brownwatch in the long run because they'll go out and learn new technologies and new bits and pieces to their programs or whatever it may be, just go out and learn. And they had a day a month to do that. Whenever mm. they wanted. It didn't have to be what Brownwatch were doing. Just go and learn something within the company time. And I thought that was a great initiative. I thought it was really clever. Because mm. Brownwatch, and I'm sure it was Brownwatch, really benefited from that in the long run. And they and yeah. they were really, you know, brought in. They were it just it really engaged. The developers there were really engaged. It's clever. That was mm. a really good, I'm a good uh, perk. I think that's really good. And I think if you do have flexibility where you can do that, it's obviously a good thing. But I mean, there's other ways, you know, it's just been a bit more innovative, like partnering with local colleges, for example, you know, mm -hmm. can you put any of those links in place where you can go, well, we'll offer, you know, we can offer courses, you know, at nighttime, or as you said. Yeah, great idea. Pay for online courses to Udemy, you know, people are that yeah. where you can just give mm -hmm. people that little bit extra to kind of take control of their careers, I think. Yeah. No, definitely. Oh, it's a great initiative. Yeah, it's funny because, and that's why I love what I do, because I go into different businesses, you pick up and you bring that knowledge with you. So you mm. go to the next one and go, well, what I did there was this worked really well. I don't think it's all of it's going to work for you, but how about we do a little you know, proportion of it, part of mm. it, either from a budget or a time point of view, whatever it may be, or just a leap. But you take these, all these learnings and take them with you. Um, to your next next client it's brilliant love my job yeah yeah i that, that's one of the nice things about being a consultant or you know doing that kind of content. you do see a lot and you know you do experience a lot of different environments you know good and bad sometimes um, yeah. but you know you, you get to take those learnings you know with you when you go to other places and and yeah it, it often you're bringing 10 years of experience in, across mm you know 10 different industries into, yeah into and mistakes i've made you know i've mm -hmm. made mistakes over the years and i hardly hold my hand up and i'm sure if anyone i've worked with listening will go oh, yeah i remember her doing that you know and and <laughs> and but you know you learn from those and that's the thing you really learn from those where you you didn't do things right because you were just inexperienced and now it what I bring to the table is so different now and my my and how I'm just calm. There's so much you have to deal with so quickly. Mm. You have to be calm about it and just get on with it. So I can literally and I hate hit the ground running this as a term of phrase because we love it in recruitment. But we literally do. And it's like, right, meet hiring managers, as you said, lean process, meet hiring managers straight away. What can I glean from them? What do what to the, what to their frustrations? Have really build that relationship up. Bosh, off you go. Really, just go for it from day one. There's no onboarding. I'm, I, I get excited if I go on an onboarding. I go, oh, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah, but that's it. You know, you just, it's such a, come on, let's go. Mm. I think that does take us back to the earlier point of if, if obviously we have managers and founders listening, it would be nice to be bought in at an earlier position within, within the contract that we're ready to hire. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, we've, we've all done the end-to-end, you know, projects within recruitment, you know, where you are doing that initial, that, you know, those initial planning pieces, you know, mm-hmm. within, you know, with HR, with the board, you know, where you, you're putting your expertise in. And I think the more people that do it, the better the recruitment outcomes get, you know. Absolutely. No, definitely. So, and I think what we offer at the small consultancy is that flexibility. Um, mm. and, and we pride ourselves on it. And it's really our sort of one of our USPs is um, we're very honest. And like BBCA, for example, they don't need a full time recruiter. And I'll be honest with them and say, and they can round up, round down what days they need. Um, and that's, that's you know, we, we're more than happy to accommodate that because we'd rather have a long term successful partnership. And if you need one day, we, or actually we need to pause for a month because it's August and no one hires, no one's hiring this month. Perfect, that's fine. You know, it's that kind of flexible um, partnership. That's what we offer. And I think that's really key as well. Yeah, I think that is key. And it's something that, well, certainly when we were looking at our proposition and doing that piece, we talked about, you know, companies doing earlier, I think there is that gap in the market for a service provider to do it because, you know, you you do occasionally get people who just want to work part-time, you know, and do it. Mm -hmm. But to have somebody offering it as specialists within private equity and going Mm -hmm. to people going, no, you don't need somebody full-time. We're not going to sell you that, you know. What you know, let's they look don't. at what you do yeah. need. Yeah. Yeah. So let's look at your hiring plans. Let's let's assess exactly what that you know what that workflow looks like and how many people it would take, you know, over over that time and sell them an appropriate solution essentially to Absolutely. It. Exactly. And that's the whole point, isn't it? Is that they're working for the client and mm. what do they need and identifying that, looking at the strategy, what do we need to put in place? If it is literally you just need a month. In a month of us, full-time or part-time, whatever it may be, and we'll deliver. Hmm. I think that's great what, what what the small consultancy is all about, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was actually my next point was going to be going into flexibility uh, and how we do that. And I think um, with the sort of programs that you've been doing, and I think... Mm. We touched, obviously, you know, you've been working with the BBCA, but, you know, you've done mm-hmm. some very specialist programs with with James mm-hmm. for sort of carve-outs, mm-hmm. scale-ups and that side of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, where does that flexibility for those kind of environments really pay off, in your opinion? Oh, it's so difficult. It's such a changing model, this. I personally, and what I've seen is that it's not one size fits all and people who get that i think have the better chance in this market um this push for five days a week you know you're going to cut out a lot of women for example Mm. um you know commuting costs and if you have to factor that in 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 the economic climate that we're in right now it's expensive it's unreliable you know, the stress, added stress, if you can do a three-day-a-week model, go for it. Um, 
And, you know, I've not read anywhere that productivity is down. I've just not seen that companies' productivity is, has been affected since COVID. And this demand for five days a week model, I just don't think is, I think is very outdated. And it concerns me it's coming from a landlord perspective rather than a employer, employee respect perspective. Um, I'm getting a bit political then, sorry. Um, but <laughs> but I just, I, you know, how, how are we going to get the best? I think BBC BF, have nailed it. They do two days a week. And I and there's a real collaboration across departments there. And I think that's perfect. And they've said, obviously, if you've got meetings, lots of meetings, you're going out about lots of events, still come in one day a week because you need to build up that, that mm. engagement. And I really understand they're coming from that perspective rather than, we need to see you. We need to be in front of us for us to know what you're doing. We've had this for three years now. You should trust your employees. I remember James, they were having to tell people, to, if I email you at two in the morning because I'm in Brazil, I don't expect you to respond. So can you stop? Because the productivity was so much. So I'm, I'm, I'm going a bit of a tangent here. So I keep doing that. But I just think um, it's not one size fits all anymore. And really look at, who are you trying to attract? So if you're trying to attract more women into the workplace, and unfortunately at the moment, women are child, the main child carer, you can't expect them to come into the office five days a week, nine to five thirty, and still have a child. You're gonna lose that person. So it's really just what can we do to, to really maximize our employees? What would they be happier mm. with? Have the option they can come in five days a week, because some people want to, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah. And I say that to people at BBC, that, that chap I hired at BBC goes in five days, he loves the office, loves it. He doesn't live that far away. Perfect. That's not a problem. But it's, it's, it's yeah, it's just looking at the whole thing. And, and I think two days, two, three days is perfectly acceptable. I, yeah, I, I think that there's two bits I want to pick up on that. Obviously, the one size fits all is it's really important. But I think, one thing, and it's only really occurred to me over the course of this discussion, a lot of what you do in recruitment is dealing essentially with the realities. So you have a lot of people going, oh, this is how we want it to work. And then you're kind of going, yes, but no. Uh, and then going, and your, your point there about the fact it would be lovely to get more women into work and, you know, saying, oh, yeah, it's fine. You know, we're, we're, we're all you know, you know, equal now and, you know, these people, but it's just not the reality. The reality is that I can't remember what the exact stat was. I read it a little while ago. I don't know. We spoke about it before, but oh, yeah. I mean, it was sort of crazy, wasn't it, about the, the amount of hours unpaid childcare that a woman still does, even if they work full time, for example. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just not the reality. So you can keep mm. saying oh, it is. And then you become a, well, you know, do you, what kind of organization do you want to be? You know, do you want to be that organization who's offering opportunities to people, you know, looking at the diversity, you know, are you just going to do it as you've always done it? And, you know, it, it is, it is an interesting one, but I think you're always there to kind of bring up that reality of what is happening. And yeah, I, 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 we, yeah. we've got surprisingly not political on this podcast so far so this, <laughs> uh, so far. Quite good, uh compared to compared to but, our meetings but, but it's things like yeah, can you, you do a job share because there's another stats about part-time 
part-time how many people will look for part-time roles and i can't remember that stat either it's, <laughs> it's almost like we should have done some pre-work on this <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh no uh it's a very good stat we'll, we'll, we'll edit it in so you'll hear this overlay <laughs> for that number um and it was a high number of people looking for part-time jobs can you offer a job share and we've just done it at bbc8 two directors we've hired and they were previously mm. a job share in another business and we've hired them both again as a job share love it they're experienced, fantastic, fantastic candidates. Mm. Why not offer it as a, as a job share? Brilliant idea. They work really mm. well together. They do one day together and then the rest they split. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, wh why can't we offer that? Why does it have to be a five days a week permanent person? Mm. You know, let's look at flexibility. Can they do four days in five days and four days? I mean, this whole Friday off, uh, four day a week aspect, I'd love to kind of, I know there's a whole movement about it. It's proving very successful, very interesting. It's sort of nine to five, Monday to Friday work model was created when women were at home looking after the house. It's a very outdated model in today's time. I don't think any of the companies who were in that trial went back to working five days a week. Yeah. Who were in that for, they, they saw no conceivable problems with productivity or drop in revenues that would need them no. to go back to that that no there's um an agency in brighton david stone i can't remember his agency name god we're really rubbish on our research today but he he's been doing four, four days a week for years years mm. and he's very advocate advocate about it he's brilliant and what he talks about it on linkedin i think he's great um and it's an agency it's a recruitment agency who are doing this and have done for a long time and it's great then he's very flexible if you work in america you change your hours so you start at 11. Why would you need to be in the office when you need to finish at 7, 8 o'clock at night? Why do you need to be in the office at 9 o'clock? Mm. Why does he need to see you to say that he feels that tick? You, you know, you're you're there, you're present. Flexibility across across the board, really. If you're working with a different territory, why do you have to be in at 9? Come in later. Do you mm. working later? And I think that's important, but it comes back to your study. It's not one size fits all. And I think when mm. we were doing the proposition looking at things and I mean we talked about packages and things like that but mm. it's not it isn't a one size fits all you know all of these companies you know whether they be scale up carve out startup have really unique needs have really unique kind of growth trajectories and what they're looking to do yeah. you can't just go in and go no this is that package we'll give you x or z yeah. because it won't work it'll fail mm. you know it needs to be that one side it needs to be you know that tailored flexible piece that fits around what they need so it is done yeah. on an individual basis yeah and it's stupid things i remember one company I worked for the perks were free snacks this is years ago <laughs> and the developers were upstairs and all the sales marketing some commercial was downstairs upstairs coke chocolate went first downstairs all the fruit and the healthy snacks went second and they'd come down and radar coke and and chocolate so they just ordered we don't wait it's so silly an example mm. but just cater so they what well, that's what they wanted so mm. they upped the order and cake coke and chocolate upstairs and got more fruit and we swapped it you know what i mean just we simple simple things i i worked somewhere once i had a vodka fire extinguisher as the benefit <laughs> Was that recruitment by any chance, John? That, that was indeed recruitment. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, oh, good times. Um, 
So we're, obviously we've we've gone well over our hour, Caroline. So we, we oh should gosh, probably yeah, sort of wrap this up slightly. So, yes. um, in a slight change to our normal question, we ask everybody uh, of uh, oh, what yeah. would you do if you were prime minister. Uh, we've probably done enough waxing lyrical on certain topics over the course of this podcast. Uh, so, for this one, if you were stuck on a desert island, what three things would you need to take with you? Oh, I love this question because I listen to Desert Island Discs all the time uh, as a podcast. Uh, I would take a bed mm-hmm. because I'd want a good night's sleep. I would <clears throat> take uh, like a bare grittest How to Survive on a Desert Island book. <laughs> is, it, is that a cheat? <laughs> I think that's just... <laughs> that does a bit like the, the I wish for three more wishes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's viable. Uh, what's the third thing I would take? Um, something sweet, like a bit like massive bar of chocolate. Something you can sweet. <laughs> something that doesn't melt, obviously, but something sweet because I've got a terrible sweet tooth. So it have to be a cold desert island. <laughs> <laughs> with a fridge. On the bed needs to provide a lot of shade for the chocolate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, something like that, maybe. I don't know. I always, I always think, because when they say they're luxury item, I always think bed. Like, you know, we, your good bed with good pillows, that just washed sheet feeling. And if anyone's ever had to sleep on an airbed for longer than like a week, exactly. exactly I've right done festivals. Yeah. I've done festivals, you know. No, mm. I like my comfort. I'm 47 years old. One likes comfort. There you go. There's there's three answers that give quite an interesting insight into Caroline's <laughs> inner workings. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, so Caroline, um, thank you very much uh, for, for obviously going the other side of the microphone uh, in this instance. Um, so before we go, obviously, if you just want to tell people uh, if they would like to talk to you about the small consultancy and what we do, then how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're scaling up, you've got car, obviously going through a carve out, anything like that, we have a really flexible model. Uh, we've got expansive experience on um, working within those those models. Um, and yeah, just come and talk to us. It's a small consultancy. You can find us on LinkedIn or our website or myself, obviously, um, Caroline Hall. Um, and yeah, just have a chat. We're, we're really approachable. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much, Caroline. Thank you for listening to The Small Podcast. We'll be back with even more guests discussing their careers in private equity and how they met the challenges of working in high-change environments. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe on your podcast app of choice and leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify.